She says, what's it called? Cornhole. Cornhole. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I am Diane. Hi, Diane. And I'm grateful, grateful member of this Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon Family Groups. And my home group is Brentwood Al-Anon Family Groups in Franklin, Tennessee. I live in Nashville. It's called Brentwood, but it's in Franklin. So um, we just kind of had to move around. But anyway, I, I encourage anybody, if they're in Nashville area, call me. Come to our group. We've got a lot of great recovery in, in Nashville. It's like four speakers from Nashville. It's, it's uh, with uh, Bill and Bernadette. It's uh, a wonderful place to be. Please come visit. And I have to write everything down and because uh, I forget to even say my name when I get up here sometimes. So um, I like to start, um, like Miss Linda, with a, an extra moment of silence because in that moment I do invite my higher power into this room and into my heart and voice. And I, I will take that moment if you will indulge me too. Thank you. Um, I want to start off thanking the committee and Pauline. Y'all have done a wonderful job, haven't they? It's been a great convention. I really needed this. This is a good place for me to be this week, this weekend. Um, I loved the Alateens. They have a special place in my heart. And Anna and Jesse, Sam, Alex, and Morgan is going to get to close today. So you're going to get to hear from Morgan also. Um, that they, they've done a great job. You just said it all. I could just sit down, Alex. Um, Al-Anon's done that for me. So, um, and I also want to thank our speakers, our grown-up speakers, Miss Linda, who I get to hear all the time in Nashville. So I'm blessed to have her with me. She's got my little co-pilot there. Um, my new friends, Bill and Bernadette, I just, uh, I got to spend some time with y'all last night and, and throughout the weekend. Come see us in Nashville. And they're like a Nashville connection. We know some people together, too. Judy, I loved hearing from you last night. You do have that hope. You do have that hope. I love it. We, Al and I, and the miracles do happen. Um. I want to thank our wonderful voice, Marlene. She, um, I got to meet her and, and her husband, Dick, um, at this hotel a few back. We can't figure out how many years ago it was at an AA convention that we came up to and uh, met them and have started seeing them and, and speaking a little bit with them and have really enjoyed being with them. And You are a great voice. I told her last night she, she's just a natural um, I want to thank the tapers for being here because taping to me is very important. Uh, whenever I, I, I'm in a place anywhere um, and I can't get a phone or can't get a meeting or whatever, I've got my little um, tapes. I, I, I have tons and tons, and I'm kind of like my um, sponsee tells me I've got tapes in the back of my trunk. I'm like a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> When, when uh, anybody's needing a tape, they just come to my trunk, and I can hand them a speaker tape. Uh, and and they, they're very important to me. I've been in many a, a place that I just could, could listen. You know, now with this wonderful technology, I can put it on my iPod and have it 
with me all the time. That's why I said I'm that little, those little, I wanted to win that little iPod so I could have all my little speaker tapes on it. Um, because it, this just, it, it means so much to me. So thank you all for doing that. That's a wonderful service. Um, I've loved meeting everybody, Juanita and Bob. I go way, way back and uh, love seeing them here. I was kind of nervous knowing I told one and I said, I got here and I was afraid y'all y'all be here and say, why is she speaking on Sunday? You know, but I, God is in control. And that's my little comparison, part of my defects that I have. I'm not good enough and all that kind of stuff, but I'm here. And uh, thank you, Miss Linda, for giving me that. Um, I'm supposed to be here. I want to thank, too, my, my driver this morning, Kathy. Got me, got me off started this morning and took me to a church where I wanted to be before I started this day. Um, that's an important place for me today. It's a, it's a special place, and I want to thank y'all for being here. And now a little bit about me, because I don't know what I'm going to say. I leave this up to God, because um, I've had people tell me, you know, there may just be one person in here who needs to hear what I have to say. So for those of you out there and the one person that's out there that might need to hear this, you know, I hope God speaks through me today for you because many of you have done that for me. And uh, a short thing on where I come from. I'm very um, one of 12 children. Um, there's 12 and a half years from the oldest to the youngest. Um, I am... One of, I am a twin. There are two sets of twins. And um, I have a twin sister, which makes me very, 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 very competitive. I have, uh, there are seven sisters and four brothers. Uh, we are a very close family. We've, um, you know, um, all living and healthy. Both parents have, have passed on, though, and have died. So, um, if you the, the big question was always when I'd say, you know, 12 kids, all that stuff, they'd say, are you Catholic? And I'd say, yes, you know, um, I was. And uh, I was raised with, uh, in, in parochial schools for 12 years. And for that, I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. Um, like Bernadette said, I'm not a recovering Catholic. I am a practicing Catholic today. Um, I, I, I didn't. I stopped. I did all those things. And, um, but I'm grateful today that I was raised the way that I was because as soon as you turned me loose, whew, I went off running. It was like somebody took, put the bird out of the cage, and I took off. And I left that church. I left everything And um, after um, school. But I won't jump into that real quick. But I'm grateful because I had that holding me back and giving me some morals and values and stuff that I really did get from that. Um, the uh, growing up years were wonderful. My father provided me with everything, and my mother did the best that she could with 12 children around all the time. I did not, the only thing I, I don't remember growing up a lot was a lot of hugs and that kind of stuff, and y'all have made up for all that. I get the hugs from y'all today. But I know she didn't have 12 arms or, you know, 24 arms to do that all day long. And I only had two children, so I know how busy I was with two. And, and um, she did a wonderful job with 12. <laughs> and my um, father was very active, uh, 
in his job. And we didn't see him. I mean, he'd come home late at night and plop himself down and do his deal. And, you know, we knew we were loved. We knew we were cared for. We had everything. And and it was not, you know, I was fortunate not to be abused and all that kind of stuff that I feel like some of those stories I hear, I was blessed. But I did choose to always go around with a crowd that um, liked to party. <clears throat> Um, there was drinking in my home, but it wasn't a, um, a lot. It was what I considered social drinking. My dad would have a drink to relax at home at night, and I don't ever remember really seeing him drunk. Um, he enjoyed just relaxing with a drink. So I grew up thinking that was normal. You know, that's what you did when you um, got home from a hard day's work. You, you had a drink and you relaxed. And it didn't seem to be a problem in my household growing up. My mother could not drink very much. She was like me. She was very small, and she would have one or two and just be silly, just so silly. So she didn't ever drink very much. And they did have some friends that that, that drank at a party. They would have a couple of parties a year, and I remember everybody just having so much fun. So I grew up that that was fun. I grew up with brothers who would have parties when my parents were out of town, and there was always um, (laughs) drinking at, you know, beer kegs or whatever when my older brothers or sisters were in charge of us so again I got the message that drinking's okay you know and we did I chose to drink with um uh party at parties and stuff with the guys that I dated or with my friends but I never liked to drink a lot I would see my sisters who would choose to maybe drink a lot and get really sick and get just a, just making what I considered fools of themselves and or crying or hugging the commode and all those things that I saw. And I'm such a control freak, I said, I'm not going to do that, you know. And, and so I think I tried to control any time I was around drinking. I would just get to the place. I would have a drink or two. I'd feel it, and I would quit. Now, I think there were probably times in there that I didn't, and I probably thought, I don't feel good the next day, so I won't do that. That's where I think I'm, I'm, I'm different from the alcoholic. My husband and his sponsor used to always say, when are you going to come pick up a chip? Because I... Um, like to party along with you. I did that. I did a lot more even in the 70s with, um, than my husband did when it came to other substances. And I, I went off, I graduated high school in, the 70, in 1970. <clears throat> and I went to University of Tennessee and just really was on my own for the first time. My father was very, very, very strict. And with 12 children, he had to be. We didn't come home a minute late that our dates didn't get a talking to. And they would never bring us home another minute late, you know. And so it was very, very strict. But in college, we did have curfews and all that kind of stuff, not like today. But I was on my own for the first time. And so... I started doing those things. I started drinking a lot. I, I started 
um, using substances that were around. I did not go out and seek them. If they were there, I would just do it. That was me. I did whatever you wanted to do because I wanted you to like me, and I wanted to be a part of the crowd. And and I just did it. I mean, the things I said I would never do, I did. I, I would take take me a, maybe two drinks or three to do those things that let my guard down to where I'd do things that I, that I didn't ever... Um, say I was going to do and so I think that's when I got away from the church because I felt guilty and I thought oh I got to go confess all this stuff and uh, so I just instead just said I wouldn't go I just got away from that well the farther away I got from that I think the worse I went and got down I ended up um, dating lots of guys having fun um, and at the in the middle of my second year, well, after my first year of high of college, I got to be on that wonderful list of uh, academic probation, you know. <laughs> because when you do what I do and not go to classes and stuff like that, that kind of happens, and and um, it's one of those things called consequences for my own actions. And so I I met my. Uh, husband-to-be, my second year of college. He was in Memphis, and I was in Knoxville, and we both were from Nashville but didn't know each other, but a mutual friend had introduced us. And so saw him. I saw him. I knew it was him. And so I quit college. After my second year, I decided I wouldn't go back. And this is part of my looking back, knowing what I did, how I could manipulate Make you think I was the little hero, I was the good person. I had your intentions, you know, you're great. I was going to take care of myself by helping you out. And I, I told my parents, because I wanted to go home and be in Nashville because Mike was going to be there. And I wanted to be there with him. And I knew I was, I, I found what I was looking for in college, and it was a him, you know, that MRS degree. I found that. So I didn't need to do that anymore. I came to Nashville because he was going to be here. He was going to be in Nashville. And so I told my parents, I said, you know, my, I, I don't have these very good grades. And um, I don't want you to waste your money. And um, I'll come back to Nashville. I'll get a job. And I'll, I'll start paying for myself. And, and I won't be a burden on you anymore. <laughs> uh, we're so good, aren't we? And um, so, you know, I did that. I chose to do that. And Mike and I dated for a couple of years. And at the end of two, uh, about the end of two years, um, Mike broke it off with me and, and broke up. And I was devastated. I didn't have a clue why. And he said I was. I found this out just like maybe last year after he hearing my story several times. He says, oh, by the way, I need to tell you why I broke it off with you. Because I never could get an answer from him. Why? And I believe it was because he didn't want me to get angry with him. But anyway, he said I was, um, imagine this, I was controlling. <laughs> I just couldn't figure that one out. I mean, in my family, everybody was controlling you had to be. That's the only way the house would function. 
If 12 people try to control everything and my parents try to control us, it ran smoothly. So that's what I did so well. And I, I thought he liked it, you know. It worked for a while. And we broke up for about a year. And in that year, I was scheming. I was doing those things that I do so well. I was planning on uh, how to get him back. You know, what's the best way to get him back? If I'm supposed to get him back. You know, I, I granted I wasn't sure I was supposed to get him back. But I would have parties. My, my roommates and I would have parties and be sure that he was invited. And I would be sure that I had a date. And I would be sure that he didn't see me looking over at him when I wanted to check him out. And I would always be having a great time without him so that he would know what he was missing, you know. And I just knew there was this connection between us. I just knew there was this connection between us. And I denied anything that I saw when I saw something that just didn't fit that picture. That He'll change. That, that's, that won't. But that's not him, really. They're just friends, you know. That, that's nothing, you know. I could just rationalize everything, justify everything. I was just wonderful at it, just wonderful. I just fooled myself. So anyway, after about almost a year, God did for me a lot of things. You know, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves many, many times. And he had Mike, Mike had his four wisdom teeth taken out, and it was kind of a surprise. He thought he was going in for one, and they knocked him out, did the four. And I, had, I was working for my father at this time, and he knew about the breakup and all that the, the year prior. And I'd not talked about Mike or anything. We had seen each other as friends within that, that year. And Mike's guy that he worked for called me at my dad's office and said well Diane this is George and Mike's had his wisdom teeth out and he needs you to come take care of him (laughs) (laughs) but for me I was kind of clueless at the time because I didn't know he was having his wisdom teeth out I didn't know who George was and I was like what (laughs) who are you and he didn't know Mike and I had broken up so he was clueless and so and he had to explain and I was like Oh, okay, I'll be right over. So I tell my dad, I'll sit, I've got to go take care of Mike. I'm, I'm going to be gone during lunch, and I'll be right back. I've got to arrange some for some of his friends to come over because his parents were out of town. He didn't have any family there at the time, and he was out cold, and the guy needed to get back to his work. So I go over there. My, my dad thinks I'm insane to go over there. How, why would I do that? And I said, it's my lunch hour. I'll be back in an hour. And I was. In, in that hour that I went, Mike was on, you know, whatever it is that they put you on, loopy, to um, take out your wisdom teeth. So, as he says, all of his defenses were down. His fear was gone. (laughs) And and he couldn't talk to me, so he wrote out all this stuff. And he, and he said, you know, I love you. I want you back. Come move back with me. And, you know, I was just... I did it. You know, it worked, you know. I got him now. And so we, I, I was dating somebody. I kind of forgot to, t- you know, I was in the middle of a relationship. You know, one of these guys that I had used to try to get him to be jealous. 
And the, uh, I had told Mike, I said, well, you know, I, I am dating someone, and uh, I don't, you know, I'll come back and fix you dinner, but that's all I'm saying right now. So I went back and told this guy that I was going to go and fix him dinner, and he just, he set up a boundary, I guess, with me and said, if you go, we're through. And so I'm not proud to say that was the easiest breakup that I'd ever done. But it was. It was. He gave me the out. And I used him. And, and I, because he told me that, I said, well, don't give me an ultimatum because I'll jump on it in a heartbeat. You know, don't, don't do that to me. And that's part of my sickness. And I did. I, I went out that door. And I took care of Mike, and my mother thought I was crazy. She um, was not happy with me. There were some things that, that, that I was doing that were against her values, and she told me as long as I was doing it that um, I, more or less I was, I guess, disowned, I guess. I couldn't come set foot in her house or whatever, but... That was okay for me because I was more into, I knew Mike and I were going to live happily ever after and never have a problem and, you know, all that stuff that we do. And within three months, Mike and I were engaged. And it was something I had to do for myself to, to know whether or not, you know, we were going to be able to be, be able to... Um, be a married couple, because I wasn't sure, and as I say, I didn't know really why we'd broken up, okay, but anyway, and then, of course, my mother owned me back, you know, as soon as I got engaged, it was, everything was okay, and, and I remember a lot of that stuff growing up, and I know that's the way she was raised, I, I want to say that I don't think my parents were alcoholic, but I believe that they both were raised in alcoholic homes, the more I talk to relatives and stuff, I find out that probably both grandfathers could have used our programs. And so they were children, adult children, growing up. And, and they passed that, psych, you know, that, that behaviors and everything on to us, those conditional love, do what I say and I love you. That's the message I was getting, not that they were saying, but it was the message that I was getting. And so I learned that very well, and I passed that on to my children. This is the cycle we get to break, you know. This circle of hope, this hope is so wonderful that we can break, break these cycles. We can break it. We don't have to keep passing down these behaviors that our parents learned that, you know, they were taught or their grandparents were taught and passed it on to us because I thought I was raised in a perfect family. I thought everything that was done was perfect. I thought we were, we looked like the happy couple. We were in the paper several times as this great big old happy family. You know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, we would be in the pic, you know, the, the papers because of this perfect family with all these, these perfect children. And it, it wasn't that way at all. But it was a wonderful life. But anyway, I did, I did get those messages and, and, and carry that on. But anyway, Mike and I got married. Things were great, I thought. Um, there was partying. We didn't have children for a couple, maybe three years. And then I thought, well, what would make this more perfect? You know, children. 
I was raised with such a large family. I wanted to have a large family. I loved kids. I always loved children. So I, we decided, my husband says I decided, that we would have children. And so I, we were blessed with a son. And this was just part of the early drinking days that maybe Mike was really working a lot, drinking a lot, and I chose to pour myself into this child. I'd gotten this child to be a mother. It was a wonderful blessing. And, and anything that I was denying with the alcohol, any of the problems, I would just do more with the baby, you know, the son. And I think I deprived my, my husband of um, that fatherhood stuff because I, I nursed. I did all that stuff. And when the baby would cry, I would take it, you know. I was the one that could do all things to this child and, and have my, it was, I don't know, it's hard to explain unless you're a mother, but it was just, it filled the void that alcohol was taking in my life. And after about three more years, we were, we had, you know, you start partying more, you start losing friends, you start um, making excuses, things start, the, the, the behaviors start coming in, and the um, alcoholism starts coming into your life. And we were, um, whenever I thought that things weren't getting good, I'd try to figure out what's wrong. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? And I would always... Um, come up when Mike had a problem. I would always give him an answer. This is how you fix it. And I was talking to Bill last night about how coming from a large family, we did. We fixed everything. It was, you know, we were just kind of the handymen of the house and the handy women of the house. When you did it, you always fixed everything yourselves. You didn't have other people come in and fix anything. And we all are big fix-its in my family. And so whenever Mike would have a problem or anything, we would I'd tell him how to fix it, you know, let's do this, let's do that. And it would work for a week, a month, a few months, whatever, until the next thing happened, and then we'd try something a little bit different. And that was our pattern. That was our pattern. Um, Mike, at this point, got into, um, he had chemical imbalance, I think with all the chemicals he was using, he was definitely imbalanced. <laughs> and um, there were a lot of chemicals that we were using and mixing and all that kind of stuff. So he went and they considered chemical imbalance. And so he was uh, on antidepressants, and they would work for a while, but he forgot to tell them that he was drinking, and they said not to drink on it. And so they didn't. They'd stop working after a while, and he'd go to another one, and we'd go see another. He'd go see somebody else when the depression got bad, and... That was just a cycle, and, and it started being where he was very suicidal. And he would just always come up with, well, I just don't know. I'm not going to live anymore. And I'll, Those things. And so for me, I just lived in fear. Fear ruled my life. Fear ruled my life. I would, um, you know, try to just fix it, make everybody happy, walk on those eggshells. The kids, he'd come home from work. The kids would be playing a little loud, I'd send them upstairs, 
you know, dad's not feeling well, you know, whatever. He's got a headache. He's got a migraine. He's just sick. He's, he's had a hard day. All that stuff. I would send them away and, and, and try to keep them happy, try to keep them around. I could tell by the, you know, the phone call when you get, when they're on their way home. You know what it's going to be like when they walk in the door. If it's going to be a good day, if it's going to be good, you know, it's going to be good tonight. Or it's not. Or he's not going to come home for a while or whatever. And it wasn't that he was ever one of those that came in real late. He would come in just a few hours late, you know. And so I I learned to do all that stuff. He started isolating. I started isolating with him. I'd make up the excuses. I'd go against things and, and, and say, you know, we just can't do that today. He's not feeling whatever. All those little things that we do so well that we don't really realize what we're doing when we're doing them. You know, I was just being the good wife, the good mother, the good daughter, whatever it took. I could just jump right into that role, the good sister. Fix it, fix it, fix it. But anyway, we, after having my second son, we had a second son about four years later, there were a lot of things happening that I was denying, um, a lot of things that uh, were pretty obvious, I think, to me, but I could just deny them. And I would um, say, that's, that's not going to happen. You know, that's not happening. They're just friends. That's not the case. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of other things going on that I just was very uncomfortable with. Now, when my children were born, I decided I needed to get back to church. I needed to get back to church. I was looking for something, and I figured the church was going to fill it for me. It was going to fill that that hole that we have. And I really poured myself into that, and I tried to get Mike to go back to church. I decided that's what he needed. He needed to be fixed to go to church, too, and that would just fix everything. Well, he would try to do that. You know, these things would work for a little while, but then he just, I was being resented because I was trying to get him back to church. I was trying to do all these things that wasn't working for him. And it was helping me some. It was it was something there. You know, I was searching for that. I, I did have a, um, a relationship. At one time, I felt a connection to a higher power when I was a child in a retreat. I remembered that in high school. One time I did. And and then I then I then I realized that um, really it was God was up there taking care of all the big details, the big stuff, and I was down here taking care of the little stuff. I was supposed to be taking care of this stuff, and He was taking care of the big stuff. That connection was no longer there, and and I would go to church and I would pray to Him up there to help me up down here, and and that would help some. That helped some. But there was there was something wrong. Something was not wrong. I lived in a relationship that was, um, you know, that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That was a great, that's a great story because that's it. That's it. And I didn't know what was, um, how this person that I loved could be this other person but for me I was so glad that I could remember the person that I met and I loved and stuff and he was there but um, 
it got to be where I couldn't deny all the stuff anymore that was happening. And I was, I knew something was wrong. And I, I couldn't fix anything anymore. God, again, did for me what I couldn't do for myself. My husband came to me and said uh, something that um, put me in a lot of fear again. You know, I was not working. I was a stay-at-home mom. Little bit by little bit, we were losing a lot of stuff. We were selling a lot of stuff. His company was going further and further down. We uh, weren't going to be able to keep our kids in the private school that we had them in if we didn't. Things weren't didn't change, and we knew that. Um, I, I knew there was. He came to me with something that I couldn't handle, and I couldn't. I didn't have an answer for. And uh, I said, hey, "You're going to get help. You have to go get help. I can't." I don't know what to do. And that's God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because I always knew what to do. And I didn't. That was that first surrender. That first surrender. I remember another time before that that I'd gone and I would just spend quiet time in a chapel by myself. And I remember something had happened and, and this is before recovery and anything. And I... I realized that I wasn't going to be able to fix Mike. I couldn't pray him into the church, and I couldn't pray him well. And I I remember getting on my knees and giving him to God and said, if you want him, you got to get it. You got to do it. I can't. I've tried everything. I don't. And that's when I think, you know, we do that first surrender. And God, we actually let him work. And I get out of the way. And in this time, my, my mother passed away uh, in 1986. And uh, things started happening for me. And I feel like that's my angel. She was my angel helping me um, in this time that I needed. And... Um, in 1987, I got to go on a pilgrimage somewhere where I could connect with a higher power. And it was really just me and a lot of other people, but I felt like it was me and, and my husband went with me only to, to appease me and um, didn't, wasn't, didn't want to really be there. But I just knew it would probably change his life and <laughs> not in the way I wanted it to. But um, it helped me. It helped me. Uh, get closer to my higher power and I felt like that was my path that I was starting to be led on and when I surrendered and told him he needed to get help finally he went to some counselors who picked up on this disease and I'm forever grateful because I couldn't figure it out I would we would quit drinking see many times he would quit drinking for me. We'd do it for Lent. We'd do it for this. We'd do it for that. I'd use manipulation. I'd use guilt. I'd use everything. And, and, and the thing is, what was so confusing is that we would quit. We would quit, and I used that another little tool so that he didn't feel like it was, um, I was pointing the finger at him, so I'd say, we need to quit drinking. We need to do this. And so he would quit for a little while, but in the process, he was using other substances and stuff and, and other things 
to fill that void. And I didn't realize that that was just covering up, fill the next time until he picked up the next drink. And he, I said, well, and he could go pick up the next drink because it was okay. He was, to me, that social drinker that my dad was. He came home and he needed it to relax. I didn't know he was drinking a little bit at the office or in the garage or whatever. But, you know, for me, I, he was, the alcohol kept him normal. And that's what he says. When he was drinking, I couldn't tell that he was drunk. He never really was drunk drunk, except for after he'd quit for about eight months and he called me. Long distance from Cincinnati. He was at the Reds game with my brother-in-laws, and they were having a grand old time. And he had—he called me, and he was drunk. And it had been eight months since he'd picked up a drink, and I thought our life was good. And I didn't know about this disease of alcohol. We hadn't been to AA. We hadn't done any of that. We didn't know about that. And um, that was, you know, a, a place that... It's really hard, but I still didn't know. I thought the alcoholic was that bum on the street. I thought it was somebody that lost everything that wasn't still married. It wasn't us. But we went to this counselor. We went to finally, they sent us to addictionologist, and they finally pointed the finger at him and told him he was an alcoholic. And to me, you know, he was devastated. They told him that. But for me, it was an answer. You know, thank you. I'm not going crazy. I'm not going crazy. Because, see, I, I would confront him when the situations, the things that I thought, and it would always get turned around to where I was always apologizing at the end of a confrontation. Always apologizing, and I'm going, how did I get from there to being sorry for my life, you know? And it got to the point where, you know, why confront? Why confront? It's not worth it. Just stuff it away. Just stuff it away. Just, you know, I was great. See, I never saw my parents argue. Never saw my parents argue but one time. And they, my mother got angry at my dad. See, we wanted them to argue. We were hoping my mother would stand up and say some stuff to my dad. But she, she only did that one time. And in that one time, I thought, okay, that's it. They're going to get divorced. That's it. We all went running out to mom, don't leave, don't leave. They just had an argument. Well, I didn't know what that looked like. And so in my household, we didn't argue. And my husband was raised the same way pretty much. Or that when the arguments were there, he said he'd never go there. He didn't want to be there for us. So we lived in that silent anger. When you got mad... You stuff it. You stuff it. Where is that anger going to come out? Well, for me, it came out at my kids. Maybe not with hitting, but with the words. You know, the spilled milk. That was a big deal. It really was. You know, little things that children should never be, you know, punished for, they got punished for. The anger had to come out. It had to come out somewhere. And I was too afraid of fear again to do it to him because what would happen? He might leave me. And I can't raise these children on my own. I was so afraid that he would leave me that I stayed. And I was so afraid of the, not, and not having, you know, to raise these children. I wasn't working at the time, so... When the years, the times got bad, I started looking for jobs. When my kids were got to, to school age, 
I decided I needed to start looking for a job. Not because I was bored, but because I thought that maybe I needed one. I, you know, that we needed the money, too. We needed the money. So I, I did that. And, and this was in 1990 when we saw this addictionologist who pointed the finger and told us that we, he was an alcoholic, and I asked him what, we needed, what I needed to do. And they told me to pack his bags, which to me was devastating. I thought, I can't do that. I can't, you know. And, and he was self-employed, so he really couldn't, but he did do an outpatient treatment. He was willing. He was at his bottom. And I, I was just so grateful. And I just said, just tell me what I need to do. And they, they, they sent me to a family week, and they gave me my first and only ODAT, my one-day-at-a-time book, that I started reading like a novel. I was like, I opened it up at January 1, and at this time, my little part-time job, every time I had a break, I would go and read January 1, January 2, January 3, January 4. I just worked my way through the book. And I tell newcomers, start with January 1. I love it. It really walked, walked me through a lot. And it was so wonderful. And, and they told me to go to four or five Malanon meetings, and I did. And in those four or five Al-Anon meetings, I found, found what I find in these rooms, you know, the love, the people that could share what it was like. You know, I could not share what it was like in my household with the people I worked with. I couldn't share with my family because I knew the judgment would be there. They'd tell me to leave him. They'd tell me, you know, do this, do that. I didn't want to leave my husband. I loved my husband. And so I went to Al-Anon, like a lot of us do, to fix him, to figure out how to keep him from drinking again. If that was the problem, that's all I needed to do was keep him from drinking, right? Well, they told me I was sick too, and I thought, <laughs> I don't need to be here if I'm sick, you know, if y'all are sick, because they told me they were sick. And I thought, well, I shouldn't be around sick people, but, you know, they did make me sign one of these forms that said I would go to four or six meetings, and I, did, I was committed to do whatever I said I was going to do. And so I would try another one, and I loved it. They had these newcomer meetings, and they started talking about that first step, talking about those three C's, you know. I did not cause him to drink. Because, see, I can blame myself for every single thing that you do. And it's always my fault. That was always easy for me to take on that guilt and that responsibility. I'm still working on that today. (laughs) And so they told me I didn't cause it. And I couldn't control it, which was, I didn't like that. But and, and And I couldn't cure it. And that it was a disease. And but most of all that it was affecting me. And that's what was wrong with me. That I had been affected by this disease. And so I started going to the meetings and you started talking about the fear. You started talking about all that stuff that was inside of me that I didn't know was there. All the fear. All the fear. See, I can go and I found this so quickly. My mom we used to call her just the queen of worry. When she died, I took it on. And I could worry about anything. And you'd 
I remember my son, when he told me like he had a girlfriend, the first kiss. Well, you know how long it took me from getting to that kiss to him dying from AIDS <laughs> was about two minutes. You know, I could go whew, straight there. Never, I loved our readings. Our reading today about, you know, why can't we turn the negative into positive thoughts instead of thinking that good, that, that thing might lead to a happy marriage? <laughs> I go straight to death, you know. It's death. It's going to lead to the horrible things. That's my first thought. And, and you've taught me how to turn that around today. <laughs> you know, turn it around. I don't have to go from A to Z. I get to go B, C, D. E day at a time. One day is all I have to do this. You taught me that there in those meetings. And I just loved, loved the hugs there. And some people don't like them, but I did. Oh, my dear friends, you just wrap their arms around you and just hold you and say, I know what it's like. We could cry in those meetings. We all cry in those meetings. I cry in these meetings. You know, tears just wash my soul. They're good for me. But anyway, I started coming, coming. And Mike had, um, was doing his program. He was doing great. He was doing that 90 and 90. He had a sponsor. He was working the steps. He was doing all that stuff. And I was seeing him getting better. I saw him getting better. I was going to my one meeting every now and then. One meeting every now and then. And I kept saying, why aren't I getting better? Why is he getting better? This isn't fair. You know, he's the alcoholic. I'm the one that's lived with this. Oh, poor me, poor me. But anyway, I got to look at him and say, you know, maybe if I do what he's doing, maybe I'll get those results. It was just a light bulb, you know, just imagine that. Do what you actually people tell you to do. So I started going to more meetings. I got a sponsor, got a loving sponsor, and started working the steps. Mike had uh, rigorous honesty, had laid a whole bunch of rigorous honesty on me, and um, his, his, his sponsor called it dumping the guilt instead uh, and it put me in a place of pain, a lot of pain. Because, see, I was in such a place that I had myself happy all the time. You never saw me without a smile on my face, because when I did, I'm somewhere else hiding it, and I'm hiding that. I can only be happy. I can only be happy. So everything was great. And I had fooled myself into thinking that, too. I could talk myself into being happy. He um, told me this stuff and got, got honest with me about some things that just sent me to a place that I didn't know how to, to deal with it, so I went to meetings. I listened for somebody to talk to that, those situations about that stuff. I grabbed hold of you. You met me after the meetings. We met for coffee. The meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting. I love them. I love the meetings. But we, I grabbed hold of that, and, 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 and Mike and I had to work on this stuff. I decided to stay in that marriage, and I knew I could see him getting better. 
I wasn't sure about myself. I knew I was in a lot of pain, but I didn't know any other way to do, so I grabbed hold of y'all. And y'all walked me through a whole lot of stuff. Walked me through it. Mike and I, it took about six years to get through that. And we did have to seek some professional help to, to, to work through those things. And at the end of that, we, it was like we had been married 15 years before we found this program. And we've been married now 17 in the program. And we have um, grown, gotten to grow in those 17 years so much and heal so many things in that, in that 17 year span. This, this, this program is not one that, it is hope, but it is also, you know, up and down. It's not always going up, 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 up. You know, we had to go up, down, up, down, up, down, over and over and over. But every time we'd get down, you guys were there to hold us up, to walk us through it, to share your experience, strength, and hope, and how you did it, and how this program tells us to get through and get to a better place. We ended up um, in 2000, I guess. We had um, a lot of things happen that were, were difficult for us. We had um, my son, my, my husband, my husband's business was, was um, burned down, his, his um, office, by, we, they never knew who, but in the middle of the night. That was uh, torched, and we had the program. He had the program to get through that. We had program people call us in the morning saying, oh, I'm sorry about here about the barn and stuff, and we're like, what are you talking about? We didn't know about it. They couldn't reach us. And so we got to go down there, and my husband was down there, and we got a call from my son. Well, let's see. That, let, me, let me digress just a little bit. I, when we came in the program, our children um, were 8 and 12, and they told me this thing about Alateen. And they encouraged me to get my children to go to Alateen. And so I told them, like, like they told me, is go to four meetings. Just see. If you, if you don't like them after four meetings, you don't have to go back. That's what they told me, and I'm going to say the same to you. So I took them to their little Alateen meeting. And after the first meeting, they came down, and I said, well, how was it? And they said, well, we're coming back. If you choose not to, we want you to bring us back. They found what Alex said, a place to share. See, I I thought I did a good job of covering up. But the kids are affected. And, um... As much as we try to make it so good for them, there's a lot of stuff there. So they got to be able to share in their meetings about some of the stuff that was going on in their house that they couldn't share at school. It was a safe place for them. And I'm so grateful for Alateen. um, My son, my oldest son got married a few years ago. And in that wedding... Three of his Alateens are still there that were there for him when he was there. They got to be in the wedding and be there for him. And 
we get to go to one of their weddings next weekend. And um, they, they got to develop that relationship. And I want to thank, thank Alateens and Alateen sponsors for being there for my kids. And um, I'm sure they, they, I know, got to hear a lot. But I say the recovery that my son has gotten is a lot of result from from Alateens, from from his Alateen sponsors and Alateen friends. And anyway, um, our our um, youngest son was hit when he was in eighth grade. Um, we got a call from the school, and he had gotten caught with marijuana. So he was uh, immediately kicked out of school. And in Nashville, they have this zero tolerance. No ifs, ands, or buts, you're gone. And this was a public school in the middle of his eighth grade. So I put on my little control hat and, and went to every school to see if I couldn't get him in. <coughs> Private school didn't matter, and they wouldn't take him in the middle of a eighth grade, a graduating class. And so they said there was a thing called the Alternative Learning Center, and they, that we would be hearing from them. Well, it took a long time, it seemed like, and I was trying my best and to find a place for him. And I knew the only was, uh, other option for me would be to homeschool. And, and he's a lot like me, so I knew we would just really fight it out if, we tried to, if I tried to do that. And I'd been working in a school myself, and that's, that was where I went to work with children. And I thought I'd have to quit my job and then homeschool him. And he was right at that age where I'd, he didn't want to be around me and, and stuff. So anyway, we, uh, God got to do another little thing for me that I call it my little God thing. My sponsor, I was, was tired of hearing me um, complain and complain and complain about him not getting into a, play, a school. And she said, why don't you just give it to God? You know, and stop trying to do it yourself. And I said, and I was just said, well, it's going to be a month on Friday. I'm going to give it to God till Friday. <laughs> God's got till Friday. I'm going to stop, and he's got till Friday, because I can't do this. I, I can't do this. It's been a month. I'm going to quit school, and I'll come school after that, you know. Well, on Thursday night, I got a call. No, it wasn't God, but <laughs> it was God doing for me again. It was the ALC Center, and they called, and they said, we want you to come in in the morning and talk to us. So by Friday, he was in ALC school. Got to call my sponsor and say, well, it worked. <laughs> it worked. And those are those things, those little miracles that I need for the next one and the next one and the next one that I need when I give it to God. And as those little things have been happening, my little God things, as I can start seeing them happen in my life, I'm... I'm more, and I see them in your life, and I hear your recovery and your experience in these situations, it's easier for me to let go and do these things, let go and let God. And he, he got to be in a year of the worst thing, you know, I thought it was going to be, always turns out to be the best thing. God's plan's a lot better than mine. And it ended up being a great experience for him. So we went through that. Y'all walked me through that. And then in 2000, my husband's business burns down and we get a call from my son-in-law, my son, um, 
who had gotten engaged in November that, that says that uh, they're going to have a baby in um, August and how we felt about being grandparents. And um, I couldn't wait to be a grandparent, just not yet. And I said, well, you know, I, I want to be a grandparent. Um, and they said, well, come August, you will be. And so I was like, okay, so does that move the wedding date up and everything? And they said, no, 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 why, why would that do, no. And I'm like, <laughs> just thought, just thought, you know, might move it up. How is it going to look for me, you know? How is it going to look for me? But you guys were there. And, and you got to give me the words on how to love them through that and how to love them. I did not have to disown them. I didn't have to carry on that cycle. I didn't have to do those things. I got to be there for my, for my son. And he has stepped up and he quit school. And he uh, came home and got a job and he has supported that family. And after two years, my granddaughter got to walk in their wedding. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I had her dying somewhere, you know, and in a car wreck, and they didn't have health insurance for a couple of years for her and life insurance and car insurance and all that stuff that I was just saying, okay, God, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours how I had to do that. But anyway, that was, that was, you know, that was something that I got to see. I got to be there. And I've got to be there for this little granddaughter. I got to have a granddaughter. I had those two boys, and I got to have a granddaughter. That's just the love of my life that I thought when I heard she was pregnant, you know where I went. Gosh, we can miss out on so much if we just think we can run these things. If I just let God and live that day at a time, I, I can just see the joy. But anyway, we got to go through that. We've been through a lot with him. My, my youngest son, at age 18, um, in 2000, decided to move out of the house. And, you know, I said, God bless you, you know. I wish you the best. He was a junior in high school. And my sisters and brothers or whatever would say, how can you do that? You know, he's got to stay in school. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. And I said, no. He's 18. You know, you gave me that. I never could have been able to let him go like that. Because I said, and, you know, I I just told everybody, I said, only two things can happen. He'll make it or he won't. If he doesn't make it, he'll figure it out. Maybe he'll hit a bottom that he needs to hit. If he makes it, good for him. He's, He's on his own. Why am I going to stand in the way of that? And I got to uh, step back and watch him go downhill and uh, pray and pray and pray and give, 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 give him to God. And we, Mike and I, go to a lot of these uh, conventions. They're, they're just, we love them so much. And we happen to be in one in February of 2001. Huntsville, and we go every year, four days. We're just, we need this recovery so much. We'd left on Thursday. We show up at home on Sunday. We get home on Sunday, and in, in my living room are my two sons sitting there. They don't usually come sitting in my living room on a Sunday when I'm. They don't live there, but they're at my house when we got home, and we just like, 
hi guys, what are y'all doing? Uh, the wonderful, the, the words we parents love to hear. You want to have a seat? <laughs> what now? Um, that youngest son had told us, he said on Thursday night, when we had left, that he'd been arrested um, for um, three felonies and a misdemeanor. And I said, well, why didn't you call us? And he said, because I knew where you were. And he'd always told me, you know, this is my deal. I, had to, I got myself there. I was going to have to get myself out. I mean, because we had, you know, you all had given us that. And um, he and uh, our, my oldest son got him out. They got, he got it worked out. Maybe he's one of us. Maybe he's one of them. I don't know. But um, they'd gotten us out, and uh, we got to walk through that. You know, you got to give me what, to let him suffer his own consequences, not put the pillow under his butt every time he falls anymore. You know, let him figure out it hurts when you fall. It hurts. So we, we um, told him, you know, we gave him the words that we said, we love you. We will be there for you. We'll, we'll go to court with you. We'll sit by you. You can pay a lawyer. You can go to court. And you can suffer your consequences. We'll always love you no matter what. And so he did. He got to walk through and get his lawyer, pay the lawyer. He did it all. And um, he was 18, so he, he'd gotten some... Uh, they were leaning on him, and he got some probation, had to do a lot of AA and stuff. And after that end of that two years, he chose to uh, move out to Northern California, where everything's legal out there, or whatever. And, um, <laughs> you know, he's been out there for almost five years now. Um, and we have a great relationship today. We have a fabulous relationship because I stay out of his stuff. You know, I, t I say God really removed him from me by sending him to California. If he's here, when he's here, I've just got my hands just all over him. And I just, oh, so hard. It's so hard, but he's so dear to me. But we have a fabulous relation. We go out there and visit him some. And, and he's coming home this Wednesday. I get to see him for a week. And um, it's going to be a short visit this term, but... I, now, I retired. My husband retired a couple of years ago, and I finally retired, so we'll go back out there and visit him. But y'all have given us, I don't know what his life's going to be like. I don't know what path he's going to choose. I don't know what journey God's got in, in, in store for him. I do know that I love him, and I know that he loves me, and that God loves him. You know? And he's in God's hands. He's, he's 25 years old now. And he's doing great. He's doing what he loves. I'm so proud of him because he's doing what he loves. He is um, just enjoying life, you know. And the old me would have been after him about, you need to be doing this, you need to do that, you need to get a certain job, da, 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 da. You need to do this. And, and you know what? I don't know that I'd have a relationship with him today if it was the old me. I don't think that we would have the relationship that we have today if it weren't for Al-Anon and Alateen. 
And and we get to love that that child. That I'm sorry, that man, that young man, he is not a child. Um, and I get to see that. I get to see that. Anyway, with that, and and also another situation that we had. My my son and daughter-in-law who got married with that granddaughter. We've got to experience um, them going through a divorce. <laughs> and um, I've gotten to see them walk through something like that, that with dignity and grace and friendship and love that I know is a direct result of these programs. I know it's a direct result of these programs. Because I wouldn't have taught my son how to do that. You know, you divorce, you're going to hate him. You know, you're going to make him pay. Well, they're going through this without any, any anger. It's all love. No, no hard stuff. And we're getting to be there for both of them. I'm getting to be there for my daughter-in-law. You know, which I would have divorced immediately. You know, it would have been one of those things. But, you know, y'all have given me tools today on how to love. What real love is really about, unconditional love. I really have that unconditional love today. And I'm, I'm learning it every time I come in these rooms. I get to grow more and more and more. All these wonderful opportunities for growth. Don't we hate them? But, I, you know, at the end, it's such a beautiful miracle when we get to see the results that, of what this does for us. And my husband and I have gotten to work on our relationship. And it's been such a growing process. <laughs> and uh, he's usually here with me. And uh, we usually get to share these things together. He's in Memphis doing some car races things that he loves to do. And I get to be here with all of you. And, and, I, and today we have a great relationship. It's not perfect. We're still working on it. Got all kinds of stuff we get to work on. God just keeps giving me these little bits of awarenesses, a little bit about me, a little bit about him, a little bit about us, and I get to bring it to you and give it to bring it to my sponsor, and I get to work on it. I get to work, and it's a, this growing process. These growing pains that we get to do just keeps getting better and better and better. But it, I'm, I'm here. I don't have active alcoholism that I know of. I don't know about my children, whether or not they qualify for these rooms or not. That's not my business, you know. It's not my business. The, the thing that I know that I've given them today is that there's an AA and there's an Al-Anon out here and there's Alateen. I became an Alateen sponsor after my youngest child left. I got real active in service. I wanted to get better, and you told me if I got into service and started working this program, I would get better. And I have. I have grown so much in service by doing conventions, by doing just any little bitty job that I could do was such a growth thing for me. I loved being an Alateen sponsor. But it was a time I had to go on. You know, we can't keep it on forever. We do have to let the next people fill in and, and, and follow us and, and be examples I, I've got something I want to close with today. I don't know if I've, how much time I've taken or anything, but I uh, just, I, I want to thank y'all 
for everything that you've done for me because I know I wouldn't have the life that I have today if it weren't for what this program has given me, which is such a connection to my higher power. You've reconnected me to a higher power that is so loving and kind and not that God that was up there that I talked about, but a God that's in here and it's in you. I really found that today. And it's taught me to look and see and find where that love is and how I can share that love today and all the wonderful many gifts that I've given. August 6th of our one day at a time. This is, you know, my, my prayer and meditation every morning is so important. And, and, and I found this reading that um, kind of says where I'm at today. This is a day which God has given into my hands. If I could only realize what a tremendous gift this is, I would use every moment of it to make my life more serene and more rewarding. I would not look back over my shoulder at the disappointments of the past. I would not anxiously contemplate the future. I would live just for today as well as I can. I would put aside critical thoughts of others. I would notice interesting things, the expressions on people's faces, a plant growing on my windowsill, the grace and charm of a child, an arrangement of clouds. Today there are wonders all around me if I will open my eyes and enjoy them. The reminder of that day is let me not be so preoccupied with thoughts of my grievances and troubles that today's good can escape me. Today I can begin a new way of using my minutes and hours, a new way of looking at my surroundings and the circumstances of my life, I will make this day one I can look back upon with pleasure and satisfaction satisfaction and a preparation for the days to come. And the quote is, Today is all the time I have. Nobody can keep me from using it well. If I make this a good day, tomorrow can even be better. And with that, I remember the, the sunrise this morning and the clouds and sun popping through the clouds. It was gorgeous. What a wonderful gift I was given this morning when I got to go to go in the car and see that and the the reading today in my service was on the prodigal son. And that was me. Thank you for giving me life. <laughs>